Thank you, Alex, for leading us in worship and for preaching my sermon for me. I shall now proceed to recap what he has just said. And so if you sense, uh, have a sense of deja vu, then you know you've heard it before. I want to begin our time uh, this morning by asking a few rhetorical questions, uh, which means that uh, they are questions, but you don't need to answer them aloud. You can just answer them in your own mind. And the question format is such that um, I ask you if, um, if I say that I have a regard for something, for X, and I do something that completely undermines my claim to have a regard for something, then do I really have a regard for it at all? For example, if I say that I have great regard for my wife, but then I end up living with another woman, do I have regard for my wife? If Australia's highest-ranking military officer, the, the chief of the Defence Force, says that he has great regard for the country of Australia, and then is found to be selling state secrets to another country, does he really have regard for Australia? If a politician says that he has great regard for women's rights, but then is found out to be a proponent of domestic abuse, does he have regard for women's rights? I'm sure all of you will agree that in all three cases, the person who says that they have a great regard for whatever they have a great regard does not actually have a great regard. This is because to claim that we have a great regard for something carries with it the idea that we actually do something with that regard. We will not just say we have a regard, we will actually live it out. It carries the notion that we actually mean what we say enough to practice what we say. To hold great regard for someone or something means that we have such high esteem for them that we don't just merely practice lip service, but that we practice real service. As you know, I've been taking us through a series on what Christians pursue. Specifically, on the last few occasions, we have been occupied with the pursuit of the Word of God. And we've been endeavoring to explore this from Psalm 119. Why Psalm 119? Because this Psalm is about the Word of God. 176 verses, 22 stanzas of 8 verses each, all about the glories of the Word of God. And it teaches us how we ought to regard the Word of God. The psalmist leaves us in no doubt as to what his thoughts are about the Word of God, and therefore it leaves us in no doubt as to what our regard of the Word of God should be. So my reason for bringing up the subject of regard or esteem is because I want us to examine within ourselves our own regard for the Word of God, and then I want us to measure it against the regard that the psalmist has for the Word of God. And more specifically, I'm bringing this up because it has intellectual as well as, as, well as physical components. 
It's not just about doing something, it's also about thinking something. And so as we move through the series on what Christians pursue, I also want us to think about it as what Christians think. How Christians think. How do we develop a Christian conscience? Not just doing what Christians do, but thinking like how Christ thought. So as part of this study into the Word of God, I want to explore and unpack the question, as Christians, what do we really think about the Word of God? What is the extent of regard that we have for the Word of God? More to the point, how high, how deep, how intense is our regard for the Word of God? How does God want us to regard His Word? How does He think His Word should be esteemed? How intense does He want our regard to be? What does a high regard of the Word of God look like in the eyes of God? So I, I want to look at, his, at, at this from His perspective because... I don't want us to leave today thinking that it's okay for you to have to regard God's word in your way and for me to regard God's word in my way and that that's fine. I don't want us to think that it's okay for varying degrees of regard for the word of God amongst the people of God. I'm very confident that all of us here sitting here today would say that we do have a high regard for God's word. I'm sure none of us would actually confess that, no, uh, my, my regard for God's word is actually not that high. But speaking objectively, what does that look like? What does it look like to have a high regard for God's word? What does that look like in our lives? How do, we, how do we know that, yes, yes, I do have a high regard for God's word. Yes, I may fail. Yes, I may falter at times. Yes, but I do actually regard God's word highly. How do we do that? What, how, how do we get a picture of that? And the reason why I'm asking the question is because it has great implications, not just for our lives personally, but also for our lives as a church, collectively. How do we, how do, we do church? How do we preach? How do we teach? Because if you might have come across some churches like this where they, they say that they have a great regard for God's word and it's up on their website in their statement of belief, but then they actually say that, oh, you know, I'm not so sure about, there's some parts that, you know, God's, you know, I find it hard to accept because he talks about love, but then he, there's all this judgment and wrath stuff. So I'm, I'm not, I just cherry pick the best, you know, the things that resonate with me. Some churches might say, um, it doesn't matter what God's word actually says, it matters what it says to you. So, you know, the original context and the original authorship and the original audience is not really important. What matters is, it, what does it say to you? You become the focus. You decide what it says. You decide the meaning. And so with so many different ideas about the word of God and how it should be taught and preached and understood and interpreted, What's, what's the commonality? How do we come to an understanding of what a regard for God's word truly is? Can we get a picture? What does a high regard for God's word actually look like? And in this psalm, I believe it is encapsulated in a phrase 
that occurs repeatedly and the phrase is according to. For instance, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Verse 65, you have dealt well with your servant according to your word. And so on. You get the idea. About 19 times this phrase repeats itself and most of the time you have the phrase according to your word. Sometimes it says according to your loving kindness or mercy or according to your ordinances. But together, about 19 times, it, it gives us an idea of what a high regard for God's word looks like. I mean, if, if I could put it like this, this phrase, or this psalm even, is a camera that gives us a picture of what a high regard for God's word looks like. Now, according, according to your word, you know, what does that mean? Uh, it means, as per what you have said, in agreement with you, as per your counsel, as per your wisdom, as per your understanding, as per your mind, as per your will, as per your purpose. It's according to what you have said. It is in line with what you have said. It is in concurrence with what you have said. According to your word. It's not my word, it's not my thoughts, it's not my thinking, it's what you have said. According to what you have said. That's what it means. Your word is the standard. Your word is the benchmark. And I'm now trying to get myself in line with the standard. I am trying to order my life according to your word. If your, if your word is a railway track, then my life is the carriage that is being lined up and traveling according to the track of your word. I want there to be conformity. I want there to be agreement between my life and your word. I want to live according to your word. I want to worship like we said this morning, according to your word, because your word is truth. I want to do everything in my life to the best of my ability, according to your word. Not so that I will look nice in, in the eyes of man, not so that I will keep out of jail, but because I love you. I want to live my life according to your word. Now there are two aspects of the word, two characteristics that, that give us a reason why we should line up our lives according to God's word. And those two characteristics are goodness and truth. And the reason is pretty simple. Why would I line myself up to something that's not good? Right? Why would I line myself up with something that's not true? Why bother? But the question is, good according to what? True according to who? Where do I get my standard of goodness and truth? Who defines goodness and truth for me? And the answer is, I define goodness and truth according to your word. 
My idea of truth and goodness is according to your word. I do not define goodness or truth in any other way apart from your word. And as Alex mentioned this morning, the, the implications are great because it has great implications for worship. How can we worship in truth if our worship is not according to your word? So in the first instance, I need to get my ideas of truth and goodness according to your, according to your word. Look at verse 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Allow that to just sink in. You are good. You do good. Teach me your statutes. Do we believe this? Do we believe that God is good and that He does good? Do we believe that, as Spurgeon says, God has a monopoly on goodness? That any good that happens in the universe has its source in God. No good happens in the universe that is outside of God. He is the source and the fountainhead of all good. Do we believe that? Do we believe that everything that God does is good? Why? Because He is good. He is not the fount of all goodness because He subscribes to a standard. He is the fount of all goodness because He is the standard. I want us to understand the difference. If I subscribe to a standard, that standard is higher than me. That standard then is my authority. I defer to that standard. It is above me. I try to keep myself in line with that. There is no one above God. There is no one that He defers to. There is no higher authority that He answers to. Therefore, whatever He does is good. He doesn't do it because it is good. He does it, therefore it is good. Mark 10, 17, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to in inherit eternal life? What does Jesus say? Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 107, 9, uh, 1. How great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you. Psalm 31, 19. And then there's the great prayer of Abraham. Far be it from you to do such thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly. He's good. God is good all the time. It's not just a song. He never stops being good. He is consistently and persistently good. We've testified to that. Regardless of the trials that we go through and regardless of the not so good situations that we find ourselves in, God is good. Do we believe that? 
having a high regard for God means that we take him at his word. When he says he is good, we believe that he is good. The problem comes in the context of affliction and suffering. You've all heard the question, why would a good God allow suffering? It's a great question. It's a valid question. But we don't have the time right now to address that question, but I will say this, that if you answer in accordance with human wisdom, with human philosophy, you will not have the right answer. If you are trying to answer the question about the goodness of God and the character of God with human philosophy, then you are trying to say that the limited human mind is somehow capable and sufficient and adequate to comprehend the mind of the eternal God. It just doesn't work. And so, whatever we, whatever we do, wherever we get our ideas of good from, it has to come from the source of good. The moment we assess God according to a standard that is outside of Him, we actually undermine His authority. We make Him measure up to our standard. Think about that. The creature telling the Creator to bow down to their own standard. The clay telling the potter, why did you make me this way? The moment we try to assess his goodness in the light of our own reason, we bring him down. We elevate our own thinking above who he is. And that can never be useful. It is contempt. It is contempt because we have assumed that us mere mortals have the intellectual capacity to grasp the enormity of who he is. If we, if we are to understand the goodness of this awesome and majestic God, then it must be according to what he says. It has to be. But how do we know if what he says is true? How do we know if what he says is true? Verse 160, the sum of your word is truth. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Can we get our heads around that? The sum of your word is truth. Oh, someone will say, oh, actually it's the sum, not every little bit, but the sum. No, 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 every one of your ordinances is righteous. Every single thing that has issued from the mouth of God is righteous, it is good, it is true. Verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Do you believe that? Where do you get your ideas of truth and reality from? We live in a world which is very scientific. And I'm not trying to say that the Bible is anti-science. But there are some things that the science would tell us that are not in agreement with God's word. What do we do? Who do we bow down to? Who do we defer to? Who do we listen to? Who's getting into our ear? 
Do you believe that the word of God is settled? It's settled. No argument, no further research to be done, no peer review to, to submit his paper to. It's done, it's settled forever. Yes, culture tries to change it, science tries to change it, governments try to change it, and they might for a while. But forever, O oh Lord, your truth is settled in the heaven. If we are to have a high regard for the word of God, then our ideas of truth and goodness must come from his word. They have to come from his word. We cannot have a high regard for God, for his word, but think that truth comes from somewhere else. It just doesn't make sense. Lord, I think I have a great regard for you, but uh, actually I don't think you're good. What? That just doesn't make sense. If we get our ideas of goodness and truth from the world, then our minds will be conformed to the world. But God's word tells us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your ideas of truth and goodness must come not from the world, but from the word. This is really foundational for Christian thinking. Why do I say that? Here's the key, because our view of God's word is essentially our view of God. The way that you see the word is the way that you see God. Who's telling you about God? Who's telling you? Who's informing your theology? Is it God himself? Or is it the world? The world has fallen. And any view of God, it has views of God, don't get me wrong, it has lots of views of God. But all of those views will be distorted and corrupted because it comes from a, a fallen background, a fallen foundation. If we want truth about truth, it has to come from God, who is truth. So our regard for God will be dictated by our regard for the word. I want us to understand what's at stake here. It's not just about do I rock up for church on Sunday. It's not do I study for Bible study. It is that my view of God is dependent on how I view His Word. My view of God is dependent on how I view His Word. If I don't regard His Word highly, I will not regard Him highly. Look at verse 68 again. You are good, and do good, teach me your statutes. The psalm tells us throughout that there is a direct correspondence 
between the psalmist's view of God and the psalmist's view of the word. I want us to get this correspondence. You are good. That's my view of God. Teach me your word. That's my view of the word. I want to be taught your word because I know that you are good. There's a, there's a one-to-one, there's a direct correspondence between how we view the word and how we view God. Verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts. That's the view of the word. So I will meditate on your wonders. It's the view of God. Verse 40, Behold, I long for your precepts, view of the word. Revive me through your righteousness, view of God. Verse 137, Righteous are you, O Lord, view of God, and upright are your judgments, view of the word. Verse 142, Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, my view of God, and your law is truth. View of the word. There is always a direct relationship between our view of the word and our view of God. To have a high regard for scripture is to have a high regard for God himself. We cannot divorce the two. And so when I cringe, every time someone tells me, oh, I love Jesus, but I don't like doctrine. What? It doesn't make sense. You can only love Jesus through his word. His word is the foundation for any emotion that you are capable of having for him. I'm not saying that we all need to be Hebrew and Greek scholars. No, 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 I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that we have a love for the word. That we just regard it so highly that we are incapable of functioning without it. To state it a bit differently, our thoughts about God will never rise any higher than our thoughts about his word. Our thoughts about God cannot rise any higher than our thoughts about his word. If we have low thoughts about his word, our worship will be low. It cannot rise any higher because true worship comes from truth. If I have a low view of truth, I'm not going to have a high view of God. Do you see how our worship is affected by our regard for the word? The reason that we, we stand here, that Jeff stands here, or Steve, or Alex, or Jordan, or myself, we, we, we're, not, we're not here to, to make people feel good, or to rub you up. We are here to magnify God. Because that's what his word demands of us. And in the magnification of his word, you will find joy. You will find peace. You will find strength. You will find all that you need in the word of God, not outside of it. And do you know why? This is really, this this, um, was quite a revelation to me. 
not because I didn't know it, but just because I hadn't seen it. It's because God himself has a high view of his word. Did you know that? God himself has a high view of his word. We must have the same regard for the word of God that God has for the word of God. Let me show it to you. Listen to this. Psalm 138.2 I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. And listen to this. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. You have magnified your word according to all your name. There's that phrase, according to again. God has magnified His word. He has exalted His word. He has put His word on a high position. How high? According to all His name. According to the full weight of His name, He has magnified His word. What's about His name? His character, His identity, the sum of all that He is. He has magnified His word according to the full force of His identity. That's, that's how, how much God regards His Word. God has, re, has magnified His Word according to all that He stands for. Do I have the same regard for God's Word that He has for His Word? There's a question. And I can only hold my head in shame and say, yeah, a lot of the times, no. Again, bringing it back to the, the question that Alex put before us is, worship is not about us bringing our own views of God before Him. Worship is us bringing God's view before Him and say, yes, I agree. You are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be blessed. Let all the nations come before you. Let the whole earth cry out. The trees will rejoice. That's not my idea. That's God's idea. That's why we sing, Blessed be your name. Rock of ages cleft for me. In Christ alone. Why? Because it makes me feel good? No, because that's the truth. My regard for the Word of God should match the regard that God has for His name. What, is, what does Jesus say in Matthew 24, 35? Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. I mean, when you, when you, do you feel the weight of that statement? Do you, when, when you turn the pages of your Bible, are you ever stopping to think that these are eternal words? Yes, the translations may be different, and yes, those words might be slightly different, but you get the idea of what I'm trying to say here. This is God's word. Do I, do I, do I feel the, 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 the gravity? I'm not holding the words of men. 
I'm, I'm holding the words of the Holy Spirit who moved through men to reveal the truth of God's word. And again, I'm sure you've heard many Christian leaders say, you know, I love God's word and, and I love God, but you know, people just don't think it's relevant. So, you know, it's not me that doesn't think it's relevant. People don't think it's relevant. So, you know, I've got to, I've got to make it relevant for them. No, no, you don't got to make it relevant for them. Your word is settled forever in heaven. If the word is settled in heaven, how do I think that I can make it more relevant? How do I think that I can improve on what has already been fixed? How do I think that I can somehow find a better way of communicating this? Do you see how human wisdom can so surreptitiously and insidiously introduce its own hand to guide the process? Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in the heaven. If it's settled in heaven, don't worry, it's relevant forever. Whether it's 0 BC or whether it's you know, 2000 AD or whatever, it's relevant. It's settled. You can trust it. It is sufficient. If God has magnified His word according to His name, how dare I tamper with it? This, this is something that God has elevated. How dare I bring it down? What people think of God's word really doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. What matters is what God thinks of His Word. Lord, what do you think of your Word? I have magnified it in accordance with my name. That's a weighty, weighty statement. Be suspicious of anyone who tells you that they love God, but they don't have such a high regard for His Word. Be very careful, be very suspicious. Because there are many, many people like that. They wear priestly robes. They do. They are the chaplains to the queen. They speak at royal weddings. They speak about the love of God and the love of Christ and all of that. But they do not have a high regard for God's word. Look at Psalm 38, 10, 11. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. Which God, which God do I put my trust in? The God that I praise, whose word I praise. Again, there's a direct relationship between my view of the word of God and my, and my view of God. If I know the true God... I will lift up His word. I will lift up His word above all human wisdom. You know, we, we sing the song, O God, reveal your glory through the preaching of your word. 
until every heart confesses Christ as Lord? How can, how can the preaching of the word reveal the glory of God if the preaching is about me? How can, how can the preaching reveal the majesty of God if it's all about me? I am not majestic. I am not glorious. God is. And that's what the whole Reformation was about, to recover the worship of God. Sola Scriptura leads to soli de gloria, by Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. We have to have a high regard for the Word of God. We have to see God's Word as He sees it. We have to have the same passion and fervency and commitment to His Word that He Himself has for His name. And He is jealous about His name. He is protective about His name. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is why we do not take the Word lightly. We dare not take the Word lightly. The Word was God, and the Word has not stopped being God. If the word is God, can the word ever be irrelevant? If the word is God, can we afford to give it anything less than our highest regard? And so I come back to the question that I asked at the beginning. What does a high regard for God's word look like? Answer, it looks like the regard that God has for the word himself. And it looks like the regard that God has for His own name. That's pretty high. That's really high. How often do you read the Word? How often do you study it? How often do you meditate on it? How often do you Allow yourself to be just captivated by it. How often do you read it and say, I can't understand, Lord, but I'm going to keep on reading this. Lord, I, I want you to just shine your light somehow. Are we enthralled by the word? Does it bring us joy when we read the word? You, re you see pictures of people receiving Bibles in China. And man, they are crazy. It's like someone gave them food. Really. They are just so happy to receive even a page. Are we pursuing the word of God with a full intensity? that we ought to. I want to close with a rather peculiar news story from earlier this year. The event happened in Florida, so I'm not sure if it came across your news feed. 
But the police, this is a true story. You can look it up on YouTube or wherever. The police chief of uh, Tampa had called a press conference uh, because uh, to announce the arrest of um, a, a serial killer who had been you know, on the loose for 51 days. And um, he was providing an update on live TV. And as is the case with such press conferences, you have someone there who is a, an interpreter, sign language, for people with hearing impairments. And the police chief was providing his updates, you know, uh, so-and-so was murdered and, you know, something like that. And we are pleased to announce that we are making an arrest and, um, you know, our detectives are, our detectives are currently looking into the documentation. And so she had all the, the gestures. <laughs> it looked perfectly fine and we are happy to be here. And, and <laughs> but it was all nonsense. People who looked at it later on, the people who actually had a hearing impairment said that that's nonsense, that's gibberish. She's fake. And I, quite ha I had a chuckle to myself. I remember when I first heard the story is, you know, someone committing a crime <laughs> while a crime is being reported, right, under the nose of the police. It was funny. But then as I was preparing, the, the story came back to my mind for some reason. And this time, I didn't laugh. Because I felt more solemn. Because it made me realize that I am here. Every person who stands in this pulpit is here as an interpreter of God's word. I feel the weight. Am I just making stuff up? Or am I preaching the word according to the word? It's a sobering thought. It's a burdening thought. My regard for the word should be evident not just in the way that I preach, not just the way that I prepare, but in the way that I live. Robert Murray McShane apparently said, the greatest need of my congregation is my personal holiness. I can't be a faithful minister of the word if I'm not a faithful practitioner of the word. And the same goes for you. fake interpreter had no regard either for the word of the police commissioner who was saying what he had to say. She had no regard for the people who were, who were in need of that news. She just wanted to do her own thing and very often we can be like that. We can say that we have a regard for the word of God but just we just do our own thing. Yes, yes, I want my life to be in accordance with God's word but yeah, I know this part's a bit dodged but anyway. Does our life demonstrate that we have a high regard for the word of God? Can people see it in us? That we are driven by a high regard for the word of God. I do what I do because God said. I live like I live. I think what I think. I believe what I believe because God has said. May the Lord give us a burden to have a high regard for his word. Not just according to our own standards. But according to the passion that he has for his name. Shall we pray?
Our gracious God and loving Father, we know that your word is given to us as an act of your grace. You didn't need to tell us anything. You didn't need to reveal yourself. You could just have been remained hidden and invisible and inaccessible. But Lord, you chose to speak, to condescend, to reveal yourself in love for those who are lost. You chose to reveal yourself to sinners and rebels and those who were on their way and wayward. And you have chosen to reveal yourself, Lord, through your word over thousands of years, which we now have access to unhindered. Father God, we just pray that you would really give us really a burden to have a high regard for your word because that is how we will regard you highly and you are worthy to be praised you are worthy to be exalted you are worthy to be high and lifted up you are worthy of every single praise that we can give you and more and so we pray Lord that we would devote ourselves to understanding your word and reading it and loving it and preaching it and preaching it to ourselves and living it Father, so that you may be glorified in us. And Lord, so that we may really lift up your name and pursue your word as you pursue the glory of your name. And we ask this in Jesus' most holy and precious name. Amen.